Great job this morning, guys. That was wonderful. All right, good to see you. I'm so thankful that I don't have wind like rushing in on this mic right now and this echo off this back wall. It's so good to be back inside. For those of you who weren't with us last week, we did kind of this lunch on the lawn thing outside uh, a week ago today, and it's good to be back inside, so that's for sure. Uh, The last seven years of my life, I spent those as a student pastor. And so let, let me just preface this whole conversation this morning with, I think, everybody should have to be a student pastor for at least one year of their life. I think it would rid the world of like at least three or four teenagers and, uh, and it would grow a lot of patience in us, right? And so the, the last seven years, my spring breaks, I've spent those on mission trips in various cities around the U.S. So we've been to Chicago, um, various places, taking groups of 70, 60 to 70, seventh through 12th graders. To, okay, yeah, you get the picture. I mean, you're, you're feeling my pain already there. Okay, and so a couple of years ago, we went to Oklahoma City. And uh, we did a mission trip up there. Where we're just trying to bring light to a downtown area and trying to serve people kind of in this, this downtown Oklahoma City area. And one of the things that I led, I, I had a group of seven or eight with me one day, and we went to kind of an unexpected treat here. We went to a place called the OKC Refuge. And uh, I, I was blown away. We met a guy that morning by the name of Tim Ulrich. And, and here's kind of how this story unfolds. Tim is living in California. He, he's a West Coast guy. He's looking to invest some money. So he's looking around at options. He decides real estate's going to be the thing he's going to invest in. He finds a really cheap building, downtown Oklahoma City. He buys it, then comes and looks at it. So now he's in Oklahoma City looking at this building, and it's this oh-no moment. The police estimated that in this building when he bought it, there were one to two million dollars exchanging hands between drugs and prostitution in that building. It's an apartment type of a situation where the bottom floor is kind of open and then you've got these apartments, these rooms upstairs. As he's showing us this building, it was crazy. He would open up this room and he would say, this is where the drug deals went down. This is where that whole ring, this is where they stayed. This is kind of the room that housed the prostitution side of this. This is where a guy just straight up got shot. I mean, he's walking us through this building crazy. So, so he gets there. He looks at what's going on. He said that you could literally watch around this building and see hundreds of drug deals going on each day. In the middle of that, God blows his heart up for that area. Pours all of his money into this building, renovates it. Moves his family into downtown, drug-infested neighborhood. Moves his family in there. I think he's got like another maybe 15 or 20 families now living in this building, trying to bring light into a really dark place. Now, I just think that's really interesting that you're going to move from California into downtown nasty. I mean, this is a part of the world that, that most people just pretend like they're invisible and really would just like to scrape them under the rug, right? And so he's going to come and say, I'm going to bring light there. And I just think it's interesting that you see that sort of a response. Like, what would make a guy do that sort of a thing? Okay, I've got a friend up on the north side of the Metroplex. He, he planted a church about four, almost five years ago. And in the middle of planting, they're like a few months old at this point. A guy calls him up that got wind of what was going on. A good business guy, evidently a really good business guy, calls him up. And they have lunch, and the guy asks him, this pastor, church plant, what do you need? The guy looks back across the table and says, 
432. Now, I'm thinking pennies. I'm thinking ones, maybe. $432,000 is what we need. I just picture that happening right there, you know? (laughs) Write to check, hands him $432,000. What makes a guy do something like that? Is that, I mean, that's interesting to me. $432,000 crossed that table right there. Um, Another pastor on the north side of Fort Worth, he's become a good friend to me. He was in the middle of, a, I mean, just a horrible life. He owned four or five convenience stores, was making a lot of money. In the middle of that, he's addicted to drugs, has a serious alcohol problem, is not a good daddy and not a good husband. In the middle of that, the gospel slams in, creates this thing in him. And he sell, okay, first thing that happened is he stopped selling alcohol. He was seeing what this was doing kind of through these convenience stores. He stopped selling alcohol, what made these convenience stores profitable. So the profits just diminish. He sells all these convenience stores at a deep discount, moves his family from Louisiana to Texas, goes to seminary at Southwestern, and is now a pastor. I just think that's interesting. You've got a very profitable business. It tanks now. Because of this thing that's happened, it tanks, you sell it, and and you've moved into ministry. Okay, now here's what I want to try to address this morning, what I want to try to answer. Is what creates this? Like, what is that playing out? Like, what what does that out here? Okay, so that's the question. Okay, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to get you to maybe put your thumb in a couple different places. Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 12. Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 12 would be two places to maybe put your thumb. And you might even go Philippians 3 as well, those, those three places. So I want to try to answer that question. What, what creates that? And so we're in the middle of this series on Acts. We're just kind of walking down through the book of Acts. And we're right in the middle of a really famous section at the end of chapter 2 where you've got this descriptive picture of the early church. And so we're taking this descriptive picture and we're saying, what did they value? Like, what are the values that we see in them? And then we're trying to answer this question. How do those values translate into 21st century living? And how do they become the values of our church? Okay, so our values are the things by which we measure. So we've talked about truth. We've talked about missional living. Listen, we're never going to ask a measurement question like this. How many did we run? That's not going to be our measurement question. Our measurement question will deal with our core values. So we'll ask questions like this. Are our people growing in a love for truth, a love for Jesus? Are our people, are they growing in missional living? Are they growing in this idea of I am placed in my neighborhood for a reason? I mean, God's put me there next to that neighbor and that neighbor and this coworker. So God's put me there. Am I, am I, is that working itself out? Am I living on mission with Jesus? Okay, this is going to be the next one we're going to talk about this morning. And so let me go ahead and start reading in verse 41 and, and we'll get to it here. So verse 41 says this. So those who received his word, so Peter preaches. In Acts chapter 2, he preaches this sermon. And then there's this question that's, that's shouted back. What do we do now? And his answer is you repent. And this is kind of this salvation moment for him. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that number about th- that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, so this is where we've started almost every week in the book of Acts. Is we've started with verse 41 and saying that all of this started with the gospel. And so we've, we've used kind of this phrase of the gospel changes everything. Like the gospel is what is at the root of 
all of these things that we see in the book of Acts. So all of these miracles that we see happen, all of these incredible things, you just read forward in the book of Acts, those all originate in the gospel. The gospel is at the center of that. So verse 41 is this gospel moment. The gospel has been laid down over lives, completely changing them, altering them, radically reorienting their lives around something different. Okay, then you get to verse 42. Now, I want to ask you this question as we read this, and I want you to think about this as you read these words. What did verse 41 create from verse 42 to 47? So if you've got this salvation, this gospel hitting a heart, now what does it create in this group of people? That's the question. Okay, so start reading here. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so here's what you have play out in that passage. And this kind of throws us into this next core value. You have the gospel laying down on a person's life changing a person then you have the gospel working itself out in their life okay so so here is what we call that the core value is christian spirituality okay so write that make sure you write that down christian spirituality and let me define that for you it's going to be on the screen for you i want to make sure you write this down though it's the outward expression of this inner change brought about by the gospel so christian spirituality is all of these outward expressions that happen A guy wrote a $432,000 check. A guy moves his family into downtown, drug-infested Oklahoma City. It's all of these outward expressions of this inner transformation that's happened due to the gospel. That's what Christian spirituality is. It's all of these ways that the gospel interchange is being expressed outwardly. Okay, so that's what, that's the essence of Christian spirituality. So I want to talk about this and explain this. And I want to start with this idea of inner transformation. Okay, when you read the Bible, this is not how Christianity works itself out. Um, you do not see God or Jesus saying this. You don't see him saying, okay, you want to be a Christian? This is what it's going to take. Stop doing drugs and start reading your Bible. Treat your nice, or your, your wife nicely. And make sure you're memorizing scripture. If you look at pornography again, I'm going to kill you. And so you better make sure you're praying. Okay, that's not how this thing plays out. Now, if you listen to a lot of sermons, you might, you might think that. And just in talking with people, I think that most people do think that's Christianity. But that is not what the gospel, and that's not what Christianity is, is about. That is not biblical Christianity. Okay, so let me back up and try to define this for you. Biblical Christianity, Jesus... He is primarily interested in the inside. He is primarily interested in inner transformation, not external conformity. So you never hear this conversation. You never hear this thing of, well, just do this. It never starts there. It always starts with God pursuing a heart and changing a heart. 
Okay, so this is how the gospel works itself out. When, when the gospel, in verse 41, this is what happens to people. The gospel is preached. And it is like a battering ram that the Holy Spirit uses to completely obliterate a heart. Okay, now this is going to be the Jeremiah imagery of this. And when the gospel comes in and, and just knocks a heart, just breaks it to pieces. And then here's how Jeremiah is going to talk about it. There's this transplant that takes, takes place here. There's this heart of stone that is taken out of a human being. And we're not talking about like the heart that's pumping in you right now. We're talking about the core of who you are. I mean, we are talking about the sum of all that you are on the inside. The gospel comes in, the battering ram of the gospel, the Holy Spirit uses that to break apart a hard heart. The Holy Spirit takes that hard heart out and replaces it. With Jeremiah's going to call it a heart of flesh. So now we no longer have a heart that is indifferent to God or at odds with God, an enemy of God. But now we have a heart that is tender to God, soft to God, sensitive to God. Now we have a heart, listen to this, for the first time loves Jesus. You can't make yourself love Jesus. You can't do it. You can't muster up enough willpower to love Jesus. You can't just decide tomorrow, I'm going to start loving. It doesn't work that way. You have got to have your heart changed so you can love Jesus. That is what the gospel does. The gospel comes in. Okay, now listen to this. It radically reorients your life around a new love. Creating a new thirst creating a new longing. I, I love this imagery. It creates, it gives you new taste buds for life. So you used to hate these things and now you love these things. You used to, like when, when the thought of this would come up, you hated it. But now because of the gospel, when that comes up, it just springs up in you this awe and wonder and love. That's what the gospel does. Are we seeing that? This is where we start a hard heart to everything about God. The gospel comes in, changes our heart, and now we love the things of God. That's the gospel. Okay, so the gospel primarily deals with your inner transformation. Like, I'm going to say it this way. The gospel creates in you a great desire for God. The gospel creates in you a great desire for God. You can't do that on your own. That is what the gospel does in you. The gospel does that. Okay, so I want to make it, like we can't have good Christian spirituality here if we don't have this part down. The gospel is what changes you. It is what changes me. The Holy Spirit working through the gospel. Okay, so I want to show you a picture of this. Uh, this is going to be in Philippians 3. The gospel creating this great desire for God. Philippians 3. Okay, this, this is going to be the story of Paul. And he's about to lay out a laundry list of accomplishments. Okay, so I want to read this with you. It's going to be on the screen if you can't find it here. Philippians 3, starting in verse 4, he says this. If anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, he's saying this. If you think you're a stud, you're really 7th grade JV. Okay, that's what you are. All right? I, I, let me show you how. Okay, so Paul's, that's where Paul's going here. Verse 5, he lays it out here. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Here's what he's just said. This would be modern-day vernacular. 
I've had everything the world would offer. I've had the money it offers, and I've had the things money could buy, what that offers. I've had success. I've had power. I've had prestige. I have had everything the world could offer me. That's what he's saying here. He's laying this out. I've had it all. Okay, now look at this next, next verse, verse 7. It starts with this one word, a key word here. You might circle this word if you're looking at verse 7 in your Bible. It's this word, but, B-U-T. Okay, but, okay, this but changes everything. That but would signify that the gospel has just, has just totally reoriented Paul's life. He has been reoriented around a different love for a different set of things. So all these things that he used to love now are totally different. He loves a completely new set of things because of the gospel. The gospel created in Paul a deep desire for the things of God. Now listen to what he says here. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Here's what he's saying. I have had all these things, like all of this. Do you want to talk money? Whatever you want to talk about, compared to Jesus, they're nothing. That's what he's saying there. That's what the butt of the gospel has done in him. I love these things, but now I have got new affections for new things. Okay, now that is really easy to say, right? I mean, I, like I almost laugh at this because it's really easy to say, I don't care about money. As you drive your truck down here and, okay, if you, if you drove a truck here this, or a vehicle here this morning, you're in probably the top 2% of the world population with money. Your wallet is full if you drove here this morning. Now, if you rode a bicycle, we can talk. Okay, but if you drove here this morning, just consider your wallet full. And it is easy with a wallet full to say, who needs money? Seriously. I mean, it's easy to say, um, success doesn't really matter to me until you lose your job, until you get demoted, right? Okay, that's what I love about Paul. Okay, keep reading here. This isn't just lip service. Look what he says in verse eight. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look at this phrase. For whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes to the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. So here, here's the thing with Paul. He's not just giving lip service. He's saying this. I had everything the world had to offer. I lost it all. And I still want Jesus. He's still better than all that. It created in Paul a deep desire for the things of God. Like this, I think this would be the heart of Paul. He would say this. If I have everything the world has to offer without Jesus, I have nothing. If I have Jesus and nothing that the world could give me, I have everything. Okay, listen here. That is a radical shift in loves. You agree? That is what the gospel does in us. Okay, now I want you to look back in in Acts 2, verse 42. Okay, so the gospel creates a deep desire for the things of God. You see it in Paul, you see it all throughout the scriptures. Okay, you see it in David where I've been memorizing this verse here recently, Psalm 63. Um, Verse one, it's gonna say, oh God, earnestly I seek you. Okay, now listen to what what David's gonna say now. He's gonna say, um, my soul thirsts for you. My my flesh faints for you. And then he uses this illustration. As in a dry and uh, weary land where there is no water. 
Okay, that's the picture he's giving. I, I went from hating Jesus, not, not wanting... Okay, to on the other side, it's like I'm, th- like I'm about to literally dehydrate and thirst to death. That's how much I want Jesus. Okay, in Psalms 42, he's going to say that as the deer pants for the water, that's a picture of my heart chasing after Jesus. Okay, so you see these pictures all throughout the Bible. That's what the gospel does. Okay, now this is why the gospel and or Jesus is not primarily concerned about your outward conformity. I, it never starts with do this and do that. It always starts, the gospel begins with changing you on the inside. This inner transformation. That is where the gospel always begins. And here's why. Because when the inside of you changes, when your love changes, it is expressed outwardly. Are we tracking there? Okay, so when the inside of you changes, when a new love is found, new taste buds created, you start to eat different food and desire different food. Okay, so that, okay, the gospel comes in, changes you on the inside, and how that is now expressed. Now it's this outward conformity that's expressed with this inner transformation. That is Christian spirituality. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. How the gospel on the inside changes us and now creates all of these external things that we do. Okay, now I want you to see this in, in Acts 42 here. Acts 2.42. Now, I, I want to just highlight some things in this passage that verse 41 led to. So the gospel does something, it changes, and now these people do things. And look at what, what happens in, starting in verse 42. It says this, And they... Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. These were Jewish people who 40 days prior were yelling crucify. And now they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Now they have completely got a new love. And that is being expressed now in this devotion to Jesus. Interchange, outward expression. Christian spirituality. Okay, let's keep reading here. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Next verse. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Gospel changes the inside and now we are living with an open hand. I'm not saying we're putting all of our things in one big pile here. I'm saying that we're living with an open hand ready to help people when they have need. That's what the the gospel changes the inside. Now our love is no longer our possessions. Now our love is Jesus. So now we're living with an open hand ready to bless. Okay, next verse. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Okay, so now they're going to church. They're hearing the scriptures taught. The gospel changes this inside and it leads to this outward expression. They're opening up their homes. They're having people in their homes. Gospel changes, outward expression. Christian spirituality. Okay, let's keep reading here. Um, They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. Okay, so now it creates in them this heart that is praising Jesus. Gospel changes. And now it's expressed praise. Okay, so that's the picture here. The gospel changes the inside of who we are. And that in turn changes everything that we do. All of our external things are now altered. Okay, so here's what I want to do uh, for the rest of our time. I want to give you two primary ways that Christian spirituality is expressed. Two primary ways that when the gospel hits you, 
that now it is expressed on an outward plane. Two primary ways. So here's the first one. Okay, so this is how we'll say it. The gospel creates a desire for God, and then that desire is outwardly expressed through spiritual habits. Through spiritual habits. That's one of the ways that Christian spirituality comes out of us. Okay, so the gospel changes, and now we start to develop habits that will help us know God, help us move toward God. Okay, these, these habits. Um, in, in prior times, they would be called spiritual disciplines. And I think for our sake, it just helps in calling them habits. We're all creatures of habits. We all operate out of, out of habits. That Our life is really the sum of our habits, right? And so it's really important that we create the right habits in our life that will feed our desire for God, that will move us toward God. Okay, so let me just introduce some of these to you. Things like um, reading, studying, memorizing scripture. Okay, those are, are so important. 2 Timothy 3 is going to say that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's all useful change, to change our heart, to move us toward God. So it is very important that we are getting a good intake of the Word of God in our life. Reading it, studying it, memorizing it. Okay, so that's a habit that we get here. Okay, here's another one for you. Um, meditation. David's going to say this. Um, I meditated upon your law both day and night. So here's the idea. Meditation is not a weird thing. It is simply thinking about scripture. So we are living life. And as we live, we are thinking about the gospel. We are thinking about passages in scripture. That's meditation. Okay, here's another one for you. How about this one? Fasting. Okay, it's just a spiritual habit. Fasting. Okay, now I love what John Wesley said about this. He, he's made this comment. Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. We live in the land that has utterly disregarded it. But Jesus is going to look at his disciples and say this. When you fast, I think there's a strong implication there that that should be a part of life for us. So it's a spiritual discipline. A guy that I used to, uh, to run with, um, kind of investing into me, he used to say this. Um, I can't explain it. But when prayer and fasting happen in a church, things happen. Right? Okay, so it's a spiritual habit that we develop. Here's another one for you. Um, Or let me just kind of run through it. Prayer would be another one. Um, This idea of a constant communication with God. Paul's going to say that pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you have your eyes closed while you're driving down the road. Okay, it's not the idea. It is you're developing a constant communication with God. It's a spiritual habit. This interchange brings these spiritual habits to surface. It's outwardly expressed that way. Okay, let me give you two reasons why, real quick, that these spiritual habits are so important for you. Um, Number one, spiritual habits do this for you. They are the primary way for you to know God. The primary way for you to know God is by opening up his scriptures and reading them, knowing them, memorizing them, praying, fasting, worshiping. All of those are are spiritual habits that help us know God. If you were to come to me and say, um, I want to know God more, this is what I would tell you. Develop these habits in your life. Develop those habits. That is the primary way by which you're going to know God. Now, and here's why that is so important. And this is going to be a little bit morbid, but I'm going to go with it anyway, okay? This is why it's so important. We live in a land where it is normal to live vicariously through our favorite authors and favorite preachers. Okay, now listen to this. There is going to be a day, because you live in America, that you die. And that day, and that day when that happens, 
because you live in America, is probably going to be in a hospital. And you're going to be hooked up to 15 different machines. You know the scene. And there's going to be a moment that you wake up and it's 3 a.m. And your pastor is not there. Your family is not there. Your favorite author is not there. And the weight of that moment is going, is going to be overwhelming. Now just, just picture that for a second. That day is coming for all of us. Okay, now, now look at me when I make this statement. On that day, you don't want to be depending on a God that I know, a God that your preacher knows, a God that your favorite author knows. In that moment, you want a God that you know. Amen? Habits do that. If, we are, if those habits are not in our lives, it's not going to happen. So let me, I'm going to press on this and, and we'll move on. Are the spiritual habits there for you to consistently fuel a good walk with God? Are they there to help you know God well? Are those habits alive and are they there for you? Prayer, reading your scriptures, memorizing them. Okay, are those things in place? Okay, here's the second reason why they're really important. They fuel your desire for God. They fuel your desire for God. Okay, Laura and I, we kind of crack up as we people watch when we're out and about um, at a restaurant. And, And here's what we find typically, that we'll watch a married couple eat a meal right beside us. Like they're in that booth, we're in this booth. We'll just watch them. And here's what we typically find. They never talk. They eat for an hour. They haven't said one word. Anybody been there? You drive down the road for four hours. Your wife's sitting in the bucket seat right beside you. You haven't communicated one syllable to her, right? Okay, so, so here's the point. Your love for your wife has a real tendency for the men in here to grow cold. Wives, your love for your husband has a real tendency to grow cold. Uh, most marriages live there, right? Okay. If you do not do things that consistently fuel your desire for your wife, it will be there. It's just a matter of time. Wives, if you do not do things that consistently fuel your husband's desire for you, you get the picture? If you do not have fuel, love will flicker and it will fade. Okay, your relationship with God. If it does not have fuel it will grow cold. Disciplines, the spiritual habits are the fuel that feed our desire and our faith. Okay, they fuel it. Okay, the scripture, maybe you can picture it this way. The scriptures, they are these oak trees. that they, You can place them down over the, the flame of your faith that will over the long haul consistently fuel your flame. Are we seeing the habits are the fuel. So if our love for God has grown cold, this would be a great first step. Open up the Bible and start reading. Put the habits into your life. Let me give you one book recommend, and then, then I'll keep running here. Um, I think it's on the website, Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster. If you just want a good introduction to the spiritual habits, the spiritual disciplines, that would be a great one to grab. Okay, Celebration of Discipline. Okay, so, so you've got this idea. The gospel hits, it's expressed in the, these habits. Second thing, and then, then we'll go. It goes like this. 
The gospel creates this desire for God, and then it's going to be outwardly expressed this way. It's expressed through God-given gifts, services, and activities. The gospel changes, and now it's being expressed in all these different ways in a group of people. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12. It's going to be on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. Let me read this for you. Verse 4. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. It says this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers all of them. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, the gift of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge. Verse 9. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. Verse 10. To others, miracles, prophecy. Coming on down, distinguishing between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So let me just point out a couple of things here. In this passage, number one, he says that there are a variety of gifts and services and activities. There's a variety. So in this body, not any one of us has the complete package. We are all interdependent on each other. We'll never be all we can be unless we are all plugged into the body. Okay, so you've got a variety of gifts, a variety of services, and a variety of activities. Okay, so there's a variety of gifts in this room. Just God-given things that he has blessed you with. That I don't have. And you have things that, okay, you you get the picture there. Okay, so um, Romans is going to add some things to this. Like teaching is a gift. Like generosity is a gift. Like service is a gift. Lead, okay, so you've got all these different gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And, And it's okay that we don't have them all. But in a body, we've got this connected core that when we put us together, then then we've got what we need. Okay, so there's a variety of gifts and there's also a variety of activities. Listen, not everyone is going to move from California into downtown Oklahoma City. Not everyone's going to do that, but some will. Not everyone is going to sell all they've got, sell their home, do all that, and move their family overseas to a dark place. But listen, two billion people are without the gospel never had an accurate gospel presented to them. Some of us should and some of us will. Both are okay. There are a variety of services, a variety of activities, a variety of things that we do here. Okay, now I want you to look at this, verse 7. And look what he says about it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So all of these things that God gives in a body like this are given for the common good of the body. So when we plug all of these things into the body, the body is built up. The body is advanced. Okay, so let's chat and then, and then we'll close it up here. Janie Pizzini, is, uh, she's working over in the preschool this morning. She has the gift of hospitality. It, it's amazing. I, literally, when I walk into her home, this is what happens. I would swear I own her home. Okay, that's the gift of hospitality. You walk in and you think you own the place. Like, I mean, it's just kind of like this is my house too. She has the gift of hospitality. Um, my wife has the gift of service. You cannot eat a meal with Laura without her grabbing your glass and refilling it for you. You can't do it. She has the gift of service. Okay, uh, my parents, my parents had the gift of generosity. They intentionally live below their means so they can live open-handed and be a blessing to people around them. Okay, so this is how this plays out. We go to Janie's. We're going to Janie's house. I mean, that's where, I mean, if we're going somewhere, they, I mean, that's where we like to, that's where people like to go. Um, When we get there, Laura's going to be the one taking care of everything. 
I mean, she is the one refilling things, making sure things are in order, making sure she's got the gift of service. My parents would be the people who went and bought the food so everybody has something to enjoy. You see the picture there? That's how these gifts work together for the common good of the whole. Okay, so, so here's how this plays out in, in this place, Stonegate. We are young. I mean, we are like barely, we're not even walking yet as a church, right? I mean, we are just getting going. There's going to be a day that we have various ministries in this place that bless our area. There's going to be a day that we have recovery classes. And we're going to have men addicted to pornography in these classes. And women addicted to image in our classes. And that recovery class is going to be a tool that the Holy Spirit uses in their life to bust through some of those barriers. I mean, it's literally discipleship on steroids for a several month period of time. It's going to be a great blessing for the people here. But you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not called to run a discovery or a, a recovery class. Somebody in here might be, though. But until somebody has that burden given by God to step into that, we don't do it here. There's going to be a day that we have a ministry to single moms that we bless, help, encourage single moms. It's not going to be my ministry. It's going to be the ministry of God setting that down. Like it's this activity that the Holy Spirit sets on a person's life where he uses their gifts, skills, and talents to step into that and run into that. There's going to be a day that um, we are actively involved. I mean, actively pursuing and, and involved in getting the gospel to the nations. But you know what that's going to take? People who actively feel the burden of the gospel has to get to distant shores. We are never going to be a church that blesses like we are intended to bless until us individually, you, me, we are walking in the gifts, services, and activities that the Holy Spirit has given you. See the picture? Okay, why don't you pray with me? Christian spirituality. The gospel changes us on the inside. It's expressed in all these different ways outwardly. And so I, I want to ask you just a couple of questions to kind of pry on you this morning before we, before we head out of here. Are the habits in place in your life? Without spiritual habits, it is next to impossible to live consistently for our, our God and King. It's, it's almost impossible. They fuel your desire for God. The scriptures are the, like they are this oak tree that you put down over the flame that burns for years. Are the habits there? That they are the primary means by which you know God. Hebrews 4 is going to say, it's going to call us to confidently approach the throne of grace. To draw near to the throne of grace. The spiritual habits are the primary ways that we draw near to God, that we know him. Are those habits there? I'm, I'm going to beg you this morning to just place a firm resolve in your heart 